You know, I thought I had the message for this morning all wrapped up, so to speak. I knew what my prayer was, and I started to write about Mary based upon that prayer. But my heart was troubled and my mind unsettled. However, I continued on writing until I just dried up. It seems this year, unlike other services, we have service after service. Today, continuing tomorrow, Christmas Eve at 11.30, our watch night service. And then again a few hours later on Christmas morning at 10.30. And then a few days after that, I'll be prepping for the 30th. Thinking back on an unprecedented year. And looking forward to seeing what exciting things that God has in store for us. But having said that, Roy has kindly stepped in to preach on the 30th. So I can enjoy my birthday now. So how can one present the Christmas story in variety over so many services? But I'm back to where I started. As Baptists, we don't normally focus upon Mary in depth, which is why I thought today we would. However, my brief talk on Mary will now be on Christmas Eve. So I sat, prayed, and waited. Thoughts of the Christ child entered my mind, and the words of Isaiah 9 echoed in my heart. For a child has been born to us, a son given to us. Authority rests on his shoulders. And he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And although we wait for Christmas Day 2018 to arrive, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born, fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. It's so easy to get caught up in the busyness of Christmas without giving much thought to the amazing fact that Jesus was born to be the saviour of the world. It's so easy to focus on getting presents as our priority, trying to outdo those who give to us or giving to those as little as we receive. It's too easy to buy food in abundance for that one meal with whatever Christmas appears to be often various uh, variants of turkey and seafood and pate, just encouraging us to spend just a little bit more. But I know, every bit helps, so someone says. But these are the Christmas trappings we get caught up in each year. Someone said, Christmas is when you buy this year's gifts with next year's money. I'm sure for many that's true. For many today, they hate Christmas for this reason. This commercial overindulgence, the madness of Christmas shopping where even before you shop, that parking space is mine. Goodwill and peace to some haven't arrived yet. And it seems though we expect to receive them with the presents we open. But let's look at Isaiah's words spoken some 740 years before Jesus was born. Verse 6 says, that a child has been born for us, a son given to us, right from the start, is a personal gift for us. As with all gifts, we can receive it gladly with appreciation and affection or disregard it. But let's consider what God actually did in that act. And yet, in many ways, we have no capacity in understanding the incredible humiliation that was involved when the word became flesh. 
Now, if you don't understand what I mean by the word becoming flesh, it's found in John 1 verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him nothing came into being without him. Jesus is the word, and he was with God at the beginning. Yet Jesus became one of us. He came in human form, yet still being God. But why did he come? He had to. There was no other way. We know that God created Adam and Eve. Where to begin with, everything was perfect. And scripture tells us they walked and talked in the Garden of Eden. But we know that the forbidden fruit was eaten. And in that act, them and now us have been separated from God. Over the years that followed, God sent prophets who told the people they needed to repent and return to God. But humankind chose to ignore them. And so God sent his one and only son to become the one who was to die for us. It was the only way we could return back to God. For if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God sees his son and not us and welcomes us home. So not only did he come to die for us, he came to set us free from sin. Oh, I don't sin, you might say. But anything that is not following God's way is sin. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever looked at another man, woman, other than your partner? Have you ever kept something that wasn't yours? If you said yes to those three questions, you've already admitted that you're a lying, adulterous thief. Sin to God is not just a big thing like murder. He cannot accept the smallest sin of stealing a pen from work. They are both sin in his eyes. And that's what separates us from him. Only accepting Jesus can restore us into a relationship with God. Well, that seems so hard. But again, this is why Jesus came as a baby and grew to be a man. To show how to live by example. We have the New Testament to show us how he lived and how we should. So Jesus is not only our guide, he is our teacher. There is a group of significant scholars who call themselves red-letter believers. They lived their life through the words that Jesus spoke. Often in our Bibles, words of Jesus were printed in red, so that's why they call themselves red-letter believers. They got fed up of the so-called evangelical Christians living a life unlike Jesus himself. Earlier I said that God sent Jesus to die for us. He did, but he did not stay dead. He rose from the grave to prove that his sacrifice was acceptable to God the Father and to demonstrate that what he said about God, sin and forgiveness, was true. So in that child born to us, we see the majesty of God, the glory of God in the form of an infant that could be held in the arms of his earthly mother. So when the word became flesh, the eternal became mortal, the infinite became finite, the glory put on sandals, the majestic 
wore clothing. The creator walked among us and where eternal love eventually became bleeding flesh. Authority rests on his shoulders. I'm grateful for modern translations as the government will rest on his shoulders might confuse a few people today. But it's probably what Theresa May feels at the moment. Now the Hebrew word for government is mishra. And it's only found here and in the next verse. Now government was seen as a burden to the Israelites. As they were all often under the power, sorry, under the influence of foreign powers. Something that has happened frequently in Israel's history. And even now, surrounding nations are ready to invade. Later, we find in Isaiah 22, verse 22, where it says, I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. Now, the sign of military rank is often more where? Shoulder? It is shown to those who have gained respect and been given authority. However, in this instance, it is a rebuttal to the oppressors spoken earlier in Isaiah 9, chapter 4, verse 4. It says, For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian, referring to the battle with Gideon. Now, I have a shoulder number with the police. It's 3577. It's not a rank, but it identifies me as to who I am. If I'm out with the police armed with a radio, I can alert others to an incident by pressing buttons. Or I can stop every operating radio in Wiltshire Police by pressing the red button to inform of a major incident or an officer injured. And he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now this shows us four aspects of his character. Though not specifically mentioned in the New Testament as referring to Jesus, but rather alluding to him. So what ways is he a wonderful counsellor? He counsels us in the ways of God, leading and guiding us, but not in the sense of some medical profession or some professionally trained psychodynamic counsellor. If you remember back to the times of the kings of Israel, David and other kings had counsellors. Most often they were older, wiser men who would give the king their advice and tell them what the king should do according to their wisdom. There was a time when the kingdom was divided because a new king had asked his advisers, but he didn't like what his advisers told him. So he then went to his peers and they told him what he wanted to hear. And the kingdom of Israel was divided over that bad advice. So this wonderful counsellor is the one who will counsel. Tell us about the life of God. He will be full of wisdom and knowledge to those who ask, to those who seek. And that's where we come in. We have to seek. We have to ask. But that is what Jesus does. He counsels us through our Bibles as we read scripture about him. He counsels us about love towards each other and love for God. 
Jesus says in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. That is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Jesus has the heart of the Father and is interested in our hearts. However, the, you, the word used here is E-L, which is the word only used to refer to Jehovah God. So what is this saying? This one to come will be none other than God himself. Emmanuel, God with us. God took on human flesh and dwelt among us. We read in Paul's letter that although he was God, he didn't think of his privileges as God, something to be considered and held on to. He emptied himself and became a man, taken on human flesh, and being found as a servant. This one to come was God himself, living and moving and eating with sinners. If we want to know God and want to know what God wants from us, we need to look no further than Jesus. Look at him, for he is God with us. Mighty God, our great God and Saviour, as Peter puts it in his letter. This means that God is not some impersonal force. He's not distant or uninterested. He is concerned and loving and wanting us to seek him. And when we do, we find he's never been far from us. We read in John 1 verse 1 that the word was God and then in verse 14 that the word became flesh. There's a song that says God is watching us from a distance. That song's wrong. God is not somewhere off looking at us through a telescope. He was and is involved with us. He came to this earth to show us that he is not far off somewhere. This one who was to come was God himself, mighty God. What about everlasting father? Father or founder of eternal life. We read that the one to come, this child, will be called everlasting father. The idea of father has a broader range of meaning than what we might think of. In fact, we might ask the question, is Jesus here the same as God the Father? Sorry, I'll say that again. In fact, we might ask the question, is Jesus here the same as Father God, that is, God the Father? The answer would be no. God is one God in three persons. All three are the one God, but three distinct persons. This name is not saying that Jesus is the Father and that the Father is Jesus but that Jesus is the father of eternity. He is the one who ushers in eternal life. He was and is eternal himself. We know that as we read passages like John 1.1 and Colossians 1.16 that teaches us that he was before everything else ever was and that he was the creator. He is eternal, but is also the founder of eternal life. For those who believe in him and give their lives to him by faith. Not only that, the 
the word father biblically refers to protector. In Genesis, we are told that Joseph was made father to Pharaoh. That is protector and ruler of the Pharaoh's house and the land of Egypt. Someone who is the head or founder or the source could be called the father. In ancient Rome, when a citizen had accomplished some brave and noble deed of infinite value, soldiers would raise him up with their shields, maidens would throw garlands at his feet, and the people would hail him in their songs as father of his country. On Friday, I was visited by someone who shared of their recent visit to Jerusalem. They were invited by a rabbi to share in their Shabbat, the Jewish Sabbath meal, whereas the children greeted their father with joy, saying, Abba. And it just blew my friend's mind to hear people say, Abba, Father. Jesus is the Father of eternity. As he is the one who opens the doorway to eternal life, he is said to be the very door of life. No one gets eternal life except by him. He is the Father, the source of eternal life. Prince of Peace. Peace giver with God, man and ourselves. The last name given is this. One to come is Prince of Peace. What a beautiful name. He will be characterized by peace. And he did bring peace. The announcement of his birth was sounded with the words, peace on earth. Not that this peace would be an outward peace. Where there was going to be no more wars. But he would bring peace between God and man. And between men and men and peace between men and women. In Micah 5 and Zechariah 9, we find in prophecy that this child will be our peace. And he shall speak peace unto the nations. These were fulfilled in Christ. In Ephesians 2, we read that this peace was preached in Christ. Peace with God because sin is done away with. Peace with men because Christ brings all different people groups together in him. And peace to the world because we know that he is in control. Jesus truly is the Prince of Peace. So what have we heard this morning? I hope that we've seen Jesus a little bit closer. We're into the time of year that is often associated with religion and for a lot of people the birth of Christ the Saviour. The one who was to come is described as wonderful counsellor. The one who tells us about God and about ourselves, how we are to live. He is called mighty God. God in the flesh. God with us. Here we have God taking on humanity so he can save us and identifies with us. He shows us in his love for us. He is called Father of Eternity as he opens up the way to eternal life. 
He is the head, the source, the father, or eternal life. And he is called Prince of Peace. The one who brings peace with God and humankind. And inner peace as he died for sinners like you and me. And he rose again. He is our peace. It's my prayer that you may truly know the peace and presence of Jesus this Christmas. Amen.